Well, thanks for letting me share, me share my dad with you for just a few moments. Um, like in most ancient cultures, there's a great sense of responsibility that people feel in the ancient world to honor their parents. You know, in our own tradition, uh, it makes the Big Ten, the Big Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. In almost all ancient cultures and of all think in terms of shame and honor, this becomes one of the primary obligations of all people. And along the way, Christians have had to struggle with this, as you may be aware. I'm mindful of a story told by Jackson Wu of a young man who comes to faith. And when he tells his mother that he's coming to faith, uh, she feels betrayed. Uh, she says, why would you want to betray your ancestors and your family? Uh, you're a Chinese person. Why would you want to embrace some foreign uh, religion? She goes on to spell out that Christians don't worship their ancestors. And uh, who would look uh, after uh, me, his mother was saying, when you convert? Uh, who would feed me uh, after I die? Uh, another uh, ancient uh, practice. And she just couldn't believe that he's seen her sacrifice all these years that he could just simply abandon her. And thus starts a conversation between the young convert and his Chinese mother about what it means to honor your ancestors and be faithful to your father. Paul had a similar conversation, although its boundaries weren't so drastic. He had it with fellow Hebrews. It was an intramural conversation, but it was a serious conversation nonetheless. And in just a moment, we'll read from Romans, the fourth chapter, and we'll read part of this conversation. It goes something like this. There's a uh, folks on one side of the equation who say, uh, I'm being honest and true, and I'm honoring my father and my ancestors. I'm honoring Abraham. I'm somebody who observes the law. I'm someone who's a bloodline descendant from Abraham. I'm someone who's taken on the sign of circumcision, a sign of the covenant. I've done all these formal requirements, and I've been faithful to do them all. I'm a real son. Paul has to answer back. He has sympathy there, and he is a son as well of Abraham, can check off uh, all those boxes that other people check off. But he's arguing that being a true son of Abraham is more than just the mechanical meeting of the obligations. It has something to do with character. It has something to do with capturing uh, your ancestor or your father's character and seeing what is important and what's at the center of his life. And so throughout this chapter, we'll read just a, a, a portion. A Paul shares an argument about how being a true honoring son of Abraham would call for more than just the requirements spelled out and the, and the sense of identity found in his fellow Hebrews. Instead, to really be a child of Abraham, you must understand that Abraham got square with God before the law was ever given. 
And it's learning how Abraham comes to God and comes to be right before the eyes of God that's crucial for Paul. And so if you would, would you read with me from Romans, the fourth chapter, or read along as I, or follow along as I read to you. We'll begin in verse 16 of chapter 4, the book of Romans. And here is the conclusion of this argument in chapter 4 about who's a real son of Abraham. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. Not only those who are of the law, but those who have the faith of Abraham. He is father to us all. As it is written, I made you a father of many nations. He is our father and of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. And just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. And this is why, quoting Genesis again, it was credited to him as righteousness. And these words, it was credited to him as right, to righteousness, uh, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. That is, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over unto death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Paul's argument, I believe, is this. When that passage in Genesis is quoted in Genesis 15, verse 6, and we, and we learn there that it was because Abraham trusted God that he was counted in the eyes of God to be righteous. He was counted and credited as righteous because he trusted God with his life. He believed in God. And Paul makes the argument that this precedes any giving of the law and the act of circumcision. And so there's no formal requirement that can precede this requirement. This is the essential sort of Abrahamish quality. And when you're honoring your father, Paul says, it's not mere conformity, but it is capturing the character. And then if you want to argue about the scope of the family, again, it's not just simple biology. It's not just simple conformity. It's instead the people who capture the identity and the character of Abraham. And Paul is happy to proclaim that this blessing of capturing the identity of Abraham is something that is extended to people far beyond the Jewish ethnicity. To any is there from anywhere who would call on Jesus' name. And Paul's idea is this, 
this act of faith and this coming to relationship with God, this being counted in right standing, being the fountainhead of sort of the people of God with Abraham, this precedes any of these acts of obedience and so on. Instead, Paul premises and looks upon the simple idea of fidelity. He trusts God. He believes God. The promise is long coming, but he continues to believe God. And it is this belief and trust that, God, uh, that Paul builds his case on. Now notice, I, th I think in Paul's mind, there's not a simple divide between whether Abraham trusted him, just mentally sort of, or, or whether he followed after him and he acted in accordance with those. Those two things fall together for Paul. They're not divided. And, and so we should, too should be eager to align our lives with the questions and the calling of character around our fathers. And the idea for Paul is this. You be true to your father by sort of capturing the character and emulating the faith. And that's the way you really pay honor and tribute to your father. And so on a Father's Day, I would just suggest to you that you honor your father not by a simple, simple imitation. I, I don't think, for example, like most ancient people, that we have to take up the craft of our parent and so on. But there are bigger questions. And outer conformity does not show the whole measure. But there's an inward fidelity to the person and the character of a father that is most important. You might remember with me Jesus' story, his parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and we always, I'm sorry, of the prodigal son. You might remember we focused on the son who was so wayward and disrespectful and took his money and ran. But remember the story also includes an older brother out in the field. He didn't run off. He's out working the back 40 and working and fussing the whole time that the father's excited about the return of the son. Can't share in this father's excitement. Can't understand who his father really is. He's been there all along, obeying the rules, you get it? Doing everything called for him. But he is no more in step with his father than the young man who ran off and showed such disrespect. He just doesn't get it. It's not about conformity. It's about character. And we pay tribute to our Father when we find what's noble and celebrate that and build our lives around that. And I want to call you this day to honor your Father. Now, I've just told you, and with great testimony and great joy, that I'm grateful for the wonderful man that God gave me to be my Father. And, uh, my um, siblings will join me with this. If there's any sense of burden we have, it's that there's such a good sense of who he is and his character and his identity that's passed on to us that we have a, a real sense of obligation, <laughs> a, a kind of a burden to, to meet that challenge and to be faithful and not to forfeit it and to pass that on. It, it's, a, it's a joy more than a burden, right? But it, it's a sense of responsibility and obligation but I'm aware that there are many people whose connection with their father is far from that. They know abandonment or they know even, God help us, abuse. I know one profound Christian person 
a close friend for many seasons, uh, many days in, in, in the long season in my life who was a, abandoned by the father, but the father left them in a terrible situation of abuse. And I just hear that and I struggle. I can understand what it means maybe to trust in Jesus' life, to try to capture who God is and sense who He is, and that's unfolded for me in Jesus Christ, and then to kind of try, take that and, and build my life around that and, and make that the center of who I am. That's how I would honor my Heavenly Father. And, but in this case, I'd give tribute to my own Father, a person of faith doing that. But what would it look like if I knew nothing of that, but I knew hardship for my father and alienation and abuse. And I'm just here to tell you and challenge you that there's a wonderful prospect of redeeming what has been lost and forfeited and injured and reclaiming. And, and I want to suggest to you that really understanding and really being uh, aware of this gift of God of fathership uh, is to understand that this notion of fathership is sort of an analogy. It's a point of comparison. And when I hear about a good God who acts a certain way, it's not as hard for me to believe when I had the father I had, right? But let me warn you. I don't care how noble and wonderful your father is. Having a great father does not excuse you from finding the father of all this world. And having a terrible experience with your father does not disfather you from finding your peace with the heavenly father. And this is in Paul's mind as well, not just my mind to apply this idea to the gospel and so on. But this is in Paul's mind as well. Look there at verse 23 and verses 24. Uh, Paul was arguing this, that what's going on with being a true, true son of Abraham... There's something bigger at stake. These are not just words that God spoke long ago to Abraham. They're also words that apply in his situation, and I would argue even to our situation, because Paul would, went on to say, it's not just a matter of biology, of a simple question of blood test and paternity. Instead, it was all along, these words were signaled for us all along. He was to be the father of many nations. And so, we can come to understand that the God of this world is our father. I don't know that we would ever have the clarity or the insight to claim these things, but Paul can claim them and can't do anything else because he's seen what's happened when Jesus the Son was sent into the world. He's with Jesus, break the power of death and break the very brokenness of the world and live with fidelity to his Father and honor his Father and show us a way. And through the gift and wonder of Jesus' faithfulness, even to a shameful death on the cross, even into facing death and knowing the power of God in resurrection, Jesus lived in a very Abrahamish sort of mindset, do you see? He trusted that God would keep his promise. And today I want to tell you, come to the family. Find your father. 
Because this same God in Jesus Christ is calling out today that you can trust Him to keep His promise. That He will bear the wrongness of this world. He will conquer it one day. He will bear the guilt and wrongness that you yourself have. He will take it on Himself. He will enter into your life. He will walk with you. He will send His Spirit into you. He will give you a new destiny. And those promises seem so grand, but I promise you today that if you're faithful to have the faith that Abraham had and to trust God, God is good to His Word and he can do what he promised. And if you want to honor God this day, you hear the promise he's extended to you in Jesus Christ, and you can come to know, whether you knew it rightly in your earthly father, you can come to know the right standing you're to have before God. Because we are sharing the gift and the status that the Son had by His mercy and grace. It's no mistake that in that prayer that I'm asking you to say every morning when you rise and every evening when you go to bed, the Lord's Prayer, it's no mistake that He starts off saying and addressing God, the God of all this world, the great God of all this world. He says, you and I in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, we can call Him Father. We can share in the relationship that the Son has, be drawn into this family, and we can find our Father through what's been going on all along and the faithful people along the way, all the way back to Abraham. It is about learning to sense and know who God is, hearing their voice, and trusting them. Now this day, fatherhood, I will celebrate the gift of fatherhood, celebrate the faithfulness of that gift, and this day as well, I celebrate what that gift should picture for us. It should give us a paradigm, an analogy, a vision, a point of comparison, where we can begin to understand who God is in our lives. And thinking of this ancient setting, just think of this. Who are you? Well, ancient people would say, I'm the son of this person, right? I'm the son of that person. You get your identity from God. Who provides for you? I know you're working folks and you work hard and you're faithful to do your work, but I want to tell you, you know you didn't get there all by yourself. You know that God has given you and helped you with everything you've ever known or enjoyed. And God's the one who provides for us. God's the one who gives us our identity. God's the one who oversees and looks over us in life as we get along. And I want to say to you, I hope you have a human father you can celebrate that with, but I want to say to you, even more important than that human relationship with your father, is to understand that is a picture of who we can be with God. This day, I ask you, honor your father today and your mother, I'll add, for faithfulness to the commandment. And I'll ask you the big question in life. Is your life 
showing honor and respect to your human father. And then the bigger question to which the first question leads is my life. Is my character giving honor to the God who is seek, seeking to draw me in, in Jesus Christ? Don't say no to this father. Don't push him off. There's a stirring in you perhaps even now that maybe, just maybe, what this preacher says and what the church has said all along and what we've sang about this morning just might be, could it be true? Could there be a God of all this world who loves you like a cherished child? I pray that we would find a faithful answer to this pressing question, Father, and that who we are and what we believe would honor our Father. I hope you find your Father.